The reading this morning is from the book of Acts, chapter 28. We're reading from verse 11 through 31. After three months, we put out to the sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with a figurehead of twin gods, Castro and Pollux. We put in at the Sinacros and stayed there three days. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, the south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Putelo. There, we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that we were coming, and they traveled as far as the Forum of Apios and the three taverns to meet us. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. When we got to Rome, Paul was allowed to leave by himself with a soldier to guard him. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they heard assembled, Paul said to them, My brothers, although I have done nothing against our people or against the customs of our ancestors, I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected. So I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It is because of the hope of Israel that I am bound with this chain. They replied, We have not received any letters from Judah concerning you, and none of our people who come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we wanted to hear what your views are. And we know that, we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. They arranged to meet Paul in a certain day and came even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them from morning till evening explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he, what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made his final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to you, to your ancestors, when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to these people and say, You will be you will be ever hearing but never understanding, you will be ever seeing but never perceiving. For these people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes, otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. 
Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. For two, for two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. May the Lord bless us to water our heart this day. Well, today we come to the end of Acts. We began looking at this book in May of 2011, and have, you have listened to 36 sermons from this great book. And I have been moved and fed by this book more than once, and I hope that you have as well, and I've certainly enjoyed preaching it. Acts begins with Jesus telling his disciples about the kingdom of God and telling them that they will be his witnesses to the end of the earth. It ends with Paul speaking about the kingdom of God and witnessing to Jesus in Rome, the center of the New Testament world. And for the years in between, the church grows from infancy to maturity Despite persecution to the point of death, despite hypocrisy and conflict from within, despite needing a major shift in their understanding of who the gospel was even for, Jesus had said to them before his ascension that they'd be his witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And this they did. When the Holy Spirit came upon them in chapter 2 at the feast day of Pentecost, 50 days after the resurrection, Peter, probably in the temple, preached to the crowds who had come there from all over the Roman world. He proclaimed Jesus' death and resurrection as foretold in the scriptures. He told them that, therefore, Jesus was not just the Christ, Greek or Messiah, Hebrew, but that he was Lord. Peter called for a response of repentance and baptism, and 3,000 people were added to their number that day. And that early Christian community is described right away, in summary, as being devoted to the scripture, devoted to the prayers, devoted to one another. And there was something so compelling about their life together as a community that people were drawn to it, and the Lord added to their number daily. But very soon, their impact attracted the negative attention of the religious leaders who considered the teaching of Jesus a departure from the religion and traditions of the Jews, and they began to pressure the Christians. They beat them, finally imprisoned them, and even put some of them to death in a violent program of persecution led by one Saul, the fanatical Pharisee. This persecution led to the scattering of Christians, many of them throughout now Judea and Samaria, and wherever they went, they spoke the word of God concerning Jesus, which is what we call the gospel. And so rather than dampen the ministry of the gospel, in fact, it only widened and increased its impact 
We read in chapter 8 about the transformation of Samaria. We read in chapter 9 and 10 and 11 and his ministry, Peter's ministry, throughout Judea, including even to a Roman centurion in his household. And so from Jerusalem, the witnessing to Jesus moves not only to Judea and Samaria, but also from Jew to Gentile. Major paradigm shift for what has so far been an almost exclusively Jewish-focused ministry. And in the middle of this account of Peter's ministry, in chapter 9, we have an episode that is nothing less than shocking. Saul of Tarsus encounters the risen and the glorified Jesus, and he is utterly and forever changed. This fanatical prosecutor of the Christian church, the followers of Jesus, himself becomes a passionate follower of Jesus and spends the rest of his life as the most effective missionary evangelist and church planner that the world has ever seen. From chapter 13 onward, the narrative of Acts follows the activity of Paul He goes on his first missionary journey in the nearer provinces of the Roman Empire. And there he encounters violent opposition, primarily at the hands of the Jews. Once he is stoned and left for dead. On a second journey, he travels to those same cities and then beyond, as far as Macedonia and Achaia. And there too he is persecuted. More than once his life is threatened. But he does have a period of extensive and effective ministry in the city of Corinth a major religious and commercial center of the province of Greece. On his third journey, he covers the same territory and this time has three years in the city of Ephesus, which was the Corinth of Asia Minor. And from Ephesus, the gospel radiates outward throughout the whole province of Asia. And so the witnessing to Jesus is now exploding outward to the ends of the earth. Then Paul returns to Jerusalem, hoping afterward to journey to Rome, and then from there to go onward yet to Spain. But in Jerusalem, he's arrested by the Jews. He's held in custody for two years by the Gentile governors who are fully aware of Paul's innocence. And Paul, fed up by their inaction, appeals as a Roman citizen to take his case up to the very top to Caesar himself. And Paul then arrives at Rome under very different circumstances than he thought that he would. In fact, against all odds, he arrives in safety in Rome, the hub of the New Testament world. And there he would witness to Jesus before the emperor Nero himself. Now at Rome, which we've just read, he would speak freely and boldly to everyone who would come to him. And so then from Rome, again, the gospel would radiate outward throughout the empire to the end of the earth. From Jerusalem, chapter 1, to the end of the earth, chapter 28. And as Acts tells this story, there's a couple of themes that show up repeatedly. Threads that are woven through the book and tie the whole book together. The declaring of the word of God and the simultaneous growth of the church. And so it is the word of God, not the actions of the apostles, that actually change the hearts of people and draw them to Jesus. Pentecost, chapter 2. Peter preaches the word of God concerning Jesus, and there were added that day 3,000 souls. 
Chapter 2, verse 47, the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Chapter 4, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men grew to about 5,000. Chapter 5, more than ever, believers were added to the Lord. Chapter 6, the word of God continued to increase, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem multiplied exceedingly. Chapter 9, the church throughout Judea and Galilee and Samaria multiplied. Chapter 11, verse 20, now those who were scattered because of the persecution traveled, speaking the word to no one but Jews, but there were some of them who spoke to the Hellenists also, preaching the Lord Jesus, and a great number who believed turned to the Lord. Chapter 12, verse 24, the word of God increased and multiplied. Chapter 16, so the churches were strengthened in the face and they increased in number. Chapter 19, verse 20, so the word of the Lord continued to increase and to prevail mightily. The word of the Lord preached, proclaiming, progressing, increasing, and the church increasing, multiplying by the thousands sometimes. This is what you see in the book of Acts. And what you see going on, and in the ministry of Paul, this gets explicitly highlighted repeatedly, that everywhere the Christians went, they spoke of Jesus. Chapter 5, they did not cease preaching and teaching and preaching Jesus as Lord. Acts 8, those who were scattered went about preaching the word. And in the ministry of Paul, too many to mention them all, they continued to preach the gospel when they had spoken the word. And in Acts 17, verses 2 and 17, 18, verse 4, 19, verse 8, Paul is in the synagogues always reasoning and persuading that the Christ was Jesus, and so on. The ministry of the church was a ministry of the word. It was a ministry of proclamation, a ministry of witnessing to Jesus. And as they did that, then the Holy Spirit of God both empowered their preaching and accompanied their preaching by performing miracles that demonstrated that the gospel they were pro proclaiming was true, that what they were saying about Jesus was true. And what did they speak? Death and the resurrection of Jesus and the forgiveness that comes only through him. And I'll come back to that in a few moments. But for the church in Acts, the gospel that they preached was centered on those three things. Crucifixion, resurrection, forgiveness of sins. It's what they always came back to. This was their witness to Christ. And as you read through Acts, this book can be summarized as the outworking of this statement. God's kingdom advances as Christians... By preaching and living, empowered by God's Spirit, as Christians witness to the risen and returning Jesus. And so as we come now after 30 years to Paul in Rome, it is no surprise what we see there. When we left Paul last week, just as he was leaving Malta after three months after a shipwreck there, and our text touches on the various stages of his journey from there into Rome. And as he comes to Rome, he meets other Christians who are coming out to meet him, including a delegation from Rome itself that comes to escort him back to the city. What an encouraging welcome 
for Paul, who has had an amazing journey just to get here, after expressing, uh, sending them a letter two years ago, expressing his longing to see them, here he finally is. And at Rome, 28 verse 16, Paul is allowed a place by himself, chained at all times, though, by a light and loose chain, but chained to a guard all the time. After three days, verse 17, he calls together the Jewish leaders in Rome. Uh, In every city he goes to, he's always gone to the synagogue to preach first to the Jews. Well, as a prisoner, he can't go there, so he gets them to come to him. And there he says, Brothers, though I had done nothing against our people or the customs of our fathers, yet I was delivered as a prisoner from Jerusalem into the hands of the Romans. And when they had examined me, they wished to set me at liberty because there was no reason for the death penalty in my case. But because the Jews objected, I was compelled to appeal to Caesar, though I had no charge to bring against my nation. For this reason, therefore, I have asked to see you and to speak with you, since it is because of the hope of Israel that I am wearing this chain. He's making pretty clear to them several things. First, that he's committed no crime. Second, that the governors of Judea knew full well that he was innocent. And third, that he had no issues with the Jews, even if they had issues with him. No charge to bring against this nation, he says. As it turns out, he's making an unnecessary defense for himself because they haven't even received word that he's coming. They haven't received word about him, which makes sense. The Jews back home knew that they had no legal case against him. They'd been hoping for an execution back home. But it was quite another thing to bring unfounded charges against a Roman citizen in Rome whose case was to go to Caesar. If those charges would not stand up, Caesar would not smile on something like that. But the Jews in Rome, however, have heard of, if not Paul, at least of Christianity, which they call a sect. And they've heard it disparaged by many in Rome. So they set up an appointment with Paul, and when the time comes, they come with greater numbers. And Paul spends the whole day in conversation with them. And all he does is what he's done for years. He tries to convince them about Jesus from their scriptures, from Moses and from the prophets. And that, too, has been a theme in Acts. Jesus as the fulfillment of God's promises through the scriptures in the Old Testament. And I can imagine Paul, forceful and passionate, and the Jews constantly questioning, asking for points of clarification, back and forth, all day. And I can imagine the guard to whom Paul was chained, rotating guard in four-hour shifts, listening to all of it. And I wonder if they became Christians. Because Paul writes, from this imprisonment, in the letter to the Philippians, that the gospel has made inroads even into Caesar's own guard. And maybe it started with a guard attached to Paul. As the conversation unfolds, the usual thing happens. Some are convinced and others aren't. And it sparks disagreement as usual. And it appears that those who believe are far outnumbered by those who don't. 
Because Paul then makes this statement. The Holy Spirit was right in saying to your fathers through the prophet Isaiah, and then he quotes from Isaiah 6, where God says to Isaiah, Go to this people, the Jews, and say, You will indeed hear, but never understand. You will see, but you will never perceive. For this people's heart has grown dull, and with their ears they can barely hear, and their eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn, and I would heal them. Then Paul makes a statement he's made in so many cities and Jewish synagogues over the years as a preacher of the gospel. Therefore, let it be known to you that this salvation has been sent to the Gentiles. They will listen. And that's when his audience leaves. And Acts then ends with these words. He, Paul, lived there two whole years at his own expense and welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Uh, Pastor John Ortberg has talked about that part of the Lord's Prayer in which Jesus taught his disciples to say, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he paraphrases that as, make down here as it is up there. The kingdom of God, God's kingdom comes as the values of God are lived out. As the things that characterize the character of God are put into play. And the things that characterize what we might call the reign of sin are pushed back. And God has made Jesus of Nazareth both Lord and Christ, Peter said at Pentecost. Lord is, of course, a term that denotes rule or authority. And Christ, or Messiah, has kingly overtones as well. Jesus Christ, Lord and Christ, is the king of the kingdom. And when he came, he brought the kingdom. The hated were treated with dignity, lepers were touched, blind and lame were healed, demons were cast out, sins were forgiven, God's character was perfectly taught and revealed by him. And then the followers of Jesus, empowered by their encounter with the risen Christ, empowered by Christ's Holy Spirit in him, in them, they continued this kingdom advance. They, too, preached forgiveness of sin through Jesus. They loved. They were generous. They showed grace when hated. They were deeply given to the worship of Christ the King. They declared the word of God. And they did it always, always by directing attention to Jesus, which is exactly what we see in this very last sentence of Acts. And today it is... It can be said that we are not so much leaving the book of Acts as we are continuing the ministry of Christ in our own day. There's an association of churches, of all denominations, that align themselves under the banner of Acts 29 churches. Now, there is no chapter 29 in the book of Acts, but we are the 29th chapter. 
as churches live and love the gospel in the heritage of the church of Acts. We are Acts 29. So what do we take with us as we leave this book? Here are a few things for the church and a few things for each of you and for me. First, that it is all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. The center of what it means to be the church is Jesus. Jesus said, you will be my witnesses. And every time the apostles, Peter and Stephen and Philip and Paul, every time they preached to a crowd, every time they defended themselves before those who opposed them, they always spoke of Jesus. Stephen in Acts 7 was killed when he told the Jewish mob that they were, in effect, rebelling against God when they rejected Jesus. Paul said near the end of his journey that he would be more than willing to die for the name of Jesus. It was the Lord, that is Jesus, who brought people to himself through the ministry of the church. And when Paul was converted from being a violent persecutor of the church to being a convinced follower of Jesus, the very next words out of his mouth that we read in Acts 9, the very next words are, Jesus is the Son of God. In every city he went to, he tried to convince and persuade, and in fact, we're told a couple of times that he proved that the Christ prophesied in the Old Testament is Jesus. One cannot possibly read through the book of Acts and conclude anything other than that the life and ministry and character of the church was bound around the person of Jesus. He leaps off of every page. And the significance of that for us is obvious. My preaching, your study... Our singing, our programs, centered in Jesus, explicitly. It is Jesus whom we worship. It is Jesus whom we proclaim to the world. And it is Jesus whose name we serve. The church is Jesus' body. The church's character is to be that of Jesus. And the moment that Jesus is moved off the center, even a degree is the moment that we stop being, by definition, that we stop being the church. It's all about Jesus. Secondly, by implication, it means that life itself is all about Jesus. Everyone's life is all about Jesus. And every life that is not centered in Jesus is less than it both could and should be. If it were not true that everybody's life needs to be about Jesus, then there would be no reason to proclaim Jesus. There would not be any point in declaring Jesus as Lord and Son of God unless everyone desperately needed to know this and to order their lives accordingly. And if this is the need and duty of every person, that lends a level of urgency to our mission, a level that we can hardly begin to imagine. And, of course, it means that your life is all about Jesus. He is your Savior. 
He is your Lord, King. There is no other hope than Christ for your forgiveness. There is nothing that you can contribute to your own forgiveness and salvation. Anything that we do is after the fact. It's a response. There's no other way than Jesus to be reconciled to God. No other appropriate center for us than Jesus. No other allegiance than Jesus. He not only demands absolute allegiance, but it is also rightfully his. Your whole life, every facet of it, belongs to Jesus. And the only appropriate and satisfying use of one's life is to live it and give it all for the sake of the glory of Jesus the Christ. Church mission in every life is all about Jesus. Third, the book of Acts tells us the very essential nature of the gospel. The essential nature of the gospel. If you could boil down from the book of Acts what the church proclaimed, it would be this. Jesus of Nazareth died on the cross and was raised to life by the power of God and that because of that, forgiveness of sin comes to those who repent 